0: Hello and welcome to the Medic Today podcast. I'm Dr. Alicia, your host, and in this episode, we welcome Dr. Katia Miles. Katia is a well-being trainer and a writer. She is a trained GP and occupational health physician with broad experience training healthcare professionals and students. She combines her twin loves of teaching and well-being in her business, the working well doctor which delivers Thrive Workshops and her How to Work Well from Home online course. She loves to connect with and empower high stress professionals and people who care. In her role as Joyful Doctor Head of Training, she is instrumental in design, planning and delivery of a portfolio of wellbeing workshops, both in person and online. She loves to write, and is deputy editor and content writer at Medic Footprints and an associate at Clarity Associates Limited. She has worked at the Mayo Clinic USA and in the UK as a GP for both civilians and the armed forces. Katia, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm
1: good, thanks. It's lovely to be here.
0: I mean, oh my goodness. I want to know everything about how you've created this portfolio for yourself.
1: Gosh. Yeah, I was kind of, yeah, it's funny to hear you read it out loud. I'm like, wow. Um, (laughs) But I don't feel that, uh, I don't feel that on a daily basis. I remember going actually a while ago to uh, pre pandemic at some point and going to a talk by somebody and going up to the doctor at the end and going, oh my God, this sounds amazing, how do you do it? She gave me her business card and it was like, I'm a portfolio doctor and I was like, I wanna be you. How do I do that? Uh, I don't think I've ever described myself as a portfolio. And now you just described me that way. So that sounds cool. Thank you. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting where I was hoping to go. Um, so thank you for giving me that, uh, that uh, whatever. Uh, pat on the back, That's lovely, thank you. <laughs> oh gosh, how did I get here? That's a long journey. Yeah, I guess like lots of things, I think it's a it's a winding path, and you learn as you go, don't you? You try things, and you um, try and listen to your instincts with varying degrees of success, and then obviously circumstance as well, and, and luck, and and perseverance pay off. So yes, yeah, so I really love pediatrics, and I went to my clinic as you mentioned, um, and then during and I did pediatrics there for three years, which was amazing. It was a great experience. Uh, and I did all of pediatrics from like intensive care and oncology right through to you're running your own GP clinics for children in in America and I really realized then I loved the holistic bit the primary care bit so I was like okay I'm going to go back to the UK and obviously in the UK the GP does that there's no such thing as a GP for children in the UK in general in the NHS as we all know so I was like fine I'll do the whole package and that fits with this kind of holistic sense that I wanted to help the whole person because we're all you know Human beings, whole humans, um, and then as part of that, I did CMP, civilian medical practitioner for the armed forces, uh, which is really fascinating. But that, by definition, is mainly occupational health because all your patients, you're a GP there, but all your patients are working in the armed forces, um, so by definition, every consultation is uh, influenced by the fact that they're working and what their job is. So something simple that's not very intellectually demanding as a gp like i don't know a sore toe is very relevant if you're an infantry soldier running around carrying a massive pack because that will massively influence your function mm. and your ability to work so i kind of got really interested in that and that led on to me doing extra training in occupational health so i've got the diploma in occupational health now and i just um yeah, and I do really believe in the importance of working well, hence the name Working Well Doctor for my, my business. In, in all senses of the world, I sort of thought about this a bit when I was thinking about what to call my well-being training business. And I thought it's not just about well-being, it's about being well in the bigger sense. So well-being well as people, functioning well for ourselves, our family, our community, uh, And not just working well. So I guess working well in all senses. It's not just working well in your job, but working well almost like I have a washing machine that works well. You know, you know that washing machine is a reliable washing machine and you can put your clothes (laughs) in and they'll come out clean. And that kind of sense that you can do that for yourself. I can rely on myself because I am I'm in a good place and I will, you know, be real. I'm somebody I can rely on and the people around me can rely on. So I guess those are the thoughts about working well and the genesis of the working well doctor and Links between GP and occupational health, um, and I guess the other piece, which I think we might talk about more about later, is that along the way, um, I had some anxiety, and I took a, it took me a really long time to acknowledge that that was what was happening. For a long time, I was like, "Oh, I'm just a bit stressed. It's just work stress. That's so normal." Um, and of course, being stressed is normal, but chronic stress is n- not quite so healthy, as we all know. Mm. And I think there's a big problem. My experienced which was with stigma. I'm feeling I had permission to notice how I was feeling, acknowledge even to myself how I was feeling, to even name how I was feeling, let alone actually asking for help. I mean, that was a huge journey and a huge barrier. Um, And it really, yeah, it was a real challenge. And now I've got through that, I'm really quite passionate about helping others. Reduce that risk. Yeah, I would say in an idle word, you know, preventing the mistakes I made. But I think the reality is we're in a tough spot and I don't know if we can prevent every mistake I made, but I'm hopeful that I can, by talking about what's happened to me, I can reduce some stigma, encourage people to speak and notice how they feel and then speak about that. Um, and maybe mitigate the risk if you can't eliminate the risk. Uh, and for me, things, I've written about permission actually, because um, I'm really passionate about it mainly because it was just a big barrier for me. I've written an article on it, and um, in January I'm going to be doing a, a, a keynote speech for the Practitioner Health Programme, who we might talk about later there, Wellbeing for Doctors. They've asked me to do their January Wellbeing webinar. and um, So I have decided to talk a bit about permission there as well because I really think it's really important. And one thing that I teach on when I talk about permission is the stuff I've said, but also for doctors it was never in the Hippocratic Oath, this notion of looking after ourselves as well as others. It's not instead of others, it's as well as others. And when I learned that the Hippocratic Oath had been recently changed to include a line, which roughly says something like, I will attend to my own health, well-being and abilities in order to care, provide care of a higher standard. That was only added in 2017. But when I read that, I was like, oh, that... That meant a lot to me because that gave me permission. So I signed up to the Hippocratic Oath when I became a doctor. And then for that oath to then include a line where I'm permitted to look after myself, for me, that was a big deal. And it really helped me to give myself permission. Though in reflection, you know, there is a part of you that could say there's more to me than being a doctor and I give myself permission anyway without the Hippocratic Oath yeah. putting it down in black and white. But I think that was a barrier for me. And I think it can be for quite a lot of caregivers in whatever role you have. You're so used to caring for the other that you sometimes forget to care for yourself, which is why I do train healthcare workers, not just doctors, but nurses, but also people who care, whether it's parents or people in other caring professions. Because I think there's something about being a carer where you care for the other, which is lovely, but you can't sustain that forever. And I ended up in burnout, which I'm not sure if I mentioned, but that was kind of the end point for me. And I just really wanted to try and reduce, reduce that for others. And no time like the present, now in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> so, uh, Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's really interesting. And if you're, if it's okay, diving into that a little bit deeper, what do you think were the biggest challenges for you, or what you see as the barriers for, you know, healthcare professionals talking about their own personal well-being?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking a bit about this. I think it is some of the stuff we've talked about. So stigma, I think, is massive, actually, even now. I think there is a silver lining to the pandemic, which is, of course, full of huge challenges. And I think one of them is that people are talking a bit more about their well-being, by which I mean healthcare workers are. Um, and there's more discussion about it in the wider community. So there, especially in the first wave, there was this kind of notion of really supporting the NHS, which was lovely, some people I know felt a bit awkward about the clap and being made into a hero and that didn't sit easily, but the plus side was I think there was a greater awareness in the on the part of the whole of society that doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals are a finite resource and a finite, people are finite, we don't have unending capacity. So I think that's important, but nonetheless stigma persists, so I guess that's one barrier. Um I think the permission piece we've talked about is another barrier. And I think there's something about um, space to think about this. So it's all very well saying, you know, I give myself permission to carve myself, but sometimes you just need time, like physically time in the day, in the week. And of course the pandemic is very difficult uh, to do that. And then also when you have that time or you carve it out, it's like, what do you do? You can't just sit there and go, fine, I now give myself permission. You know, you need to kind of have tools available and a community to connect with. And I think there's something out there about community um, and role modeling. So like I really believe you can't be what you can't see. So I think, you know, it's amazing that you're doing this podcast. I'm really glad to be on it because you are creating a space for people to have these conversations, you know, and that will hopefully help others. They might listen to podcasts, and they might start thinking and they'll there's a community of us out there. And I think that's really important, actually, about having a community where humans we're a social species. We need to connect and we need peer support. We talk about it at work. But it's not just about going to the, the workplace. It's about your whole self. And I think having that community is important. So um, obviously at the present time, lots of that's on social media. But I do think that real human contact where possible is really important. But um Yes, I, I do think that's important. So this podcast, I write a blog on my website, The Working Our Doctor. I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. But you know, partly to sort of have those conversations and build that community. And I think that's important too, actually, to help with that, those barriers. So I think maybe you asked me about the barriers and I've started talking about the solutions. Maybe that's a good, a good place to start. I'm not Absolutely saying per- a good place. <laughs> <laughs> they're not perfect solutions. I wish they were. But they're steps in the right direction, hopefully. I think if you're going to grow and develop and all those things and address stigma and blah, 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 you do need to think about your well-being. You are a, we are physiological creatures. We are, I like the analogy when I teach, we are a plant. You know, if you're a plant, you need basics, you need soil, you need water, you need sunlight. If you don't get those, it doesn't matter how much permission you give yourself, you are not going to thrive. So we do need to look after the basics. It's like that Maslow hierarchy. We need to look after those basics before we can get onto these maybe higher end, higher up the Maslow hierarchy. So we do need to carve out time for that stuff too. The sleep, the exercise, the well-being, the fun. That's really important. The, I don't know, the healthy diet, the eating the rainbow, all that. We all know that stuff, but it's important. And I do touch on it in all my training. Even when I train doctors, I'm like, this is the bit of the talk where I tell you what you already know. But the evidence is when you're in the doctor's seat telling your patient this, you are less likely to take it on board. You need to be out of that doctor's chair, thinking in a more open way, and you're more likely to receive and have these behaviours sort of land with you, and you might take different actions. So, I do think that's a part of it as well. About you know, if you're talking about all the different challenges, I think that's another challenge: it's just the basics, looking after ourselves, our well-being, in order for us to be in a place where we can do this higher-level stuff. You know, permission and and stigma and all that—that that comes after you've had a sleep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, so I completely agree with everything you've said. And what's really resonated is surrounding yourself with the content or the people, or, you know, having that community around you. Like when you said you can't be what you can't see. So one practice that I have is surrounding myself with uplifting content, motivational content on my podcast list. I have some uplifting stuff. Even my alarm in the morning, I've set it as one of those, you know, three minute motivational speeches. So it stops me from turning my alarm off and I actually wake up and listen. That's <laughs> <laughs> really cool. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? As annoying as it is sometimes, it sets me up for the day. Oh. And having a community of content as well as people that I look up to has made such a difference for me. So I'm a complete believer in 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 what you've shared there. And having those spaces that that do empower you and your well-being now the point around stigma why is that still an issue today and what can we do about it
1: oh oh ask the yeah you're a, oh, that's a good question isn't it uh <laughs> do I know a little bit can I fix it I wish I could yeah that is really the hundred million dollar question is mm. what do I think I've yeah I mean I've um I think I do know what my sense is and I think it's it's a, it's, a, it's a long journey because it's about cultural shift. And so it's not just about the individual saying, hey, I'm happy to not feel stigmatized. So that's a really important part of that. So for me as an individual person, yeah, that's really helped me as an individual go through the journey I've just described for feeling much less stigmatized and talking about it and realizing that's a helpful thing I can do for others has really helped me. You know, And that's why I've written this article on permission. I'm going to do the speech in January for the Practitioner Health Programme. I've done an interview with Medworld who were the uh, were instrumental in getting this Hippocratic Oath change. They're a really great organisation based in Australia. So that's all great on an individual level. But I think it is, again, it gets back to that community piece, isn't it? It's about the community, the culture, also essentially agreeing with or buying into this notion. Um, and I think that takes longer. And I think it takes longer anyway, because humans don't like change. I think it takes longer with mental health because it is possible to hide it in a way that physical some physical health impairments are not obviously diabetes is a good example of a physical health impairment which you could hide so I appreciate lots of people listening will be like well there's lots of physical things that are not obvious but I think relatively mental health ones sometimes are easier to mask than others they usually if you're honest people around you do know something's going on because we we know even if people aren't telling us if things are right or wrong I think stigma is I kind of think it's I was going to say generational, but that sounds like a massive hurdle. I hope it's not generational, but I think it's many years. And I think it does things like major community shifts, like what's happening in the pandemic are probably ways for us to talk more about it, which is amazing, but it comes with a huge cost, which is there's more people suffering as well. So I don't think a pandemic is a solution, but I think it's allowing us to look at things differently. Um, I by not mean saying the pandemic is a good thing, of course, or that... Uh, how do we address it? I think it's piecemeal, isn't it? By these different conversations and they and they add up. But I think there's something about people at the top of the organizations really embracing that. Um, so I think it matters if leaders in any walk of life, especially leaders where we work, are accommodating a, a, a of this. You know, there's some evidence you know, from occupational health work that your line manager is a single key determinant of your workplace well-being. So what really matters is your, what your immediate boss does and how they are. So for you as individuals or for departments in hospitals or general practice or in other organisations, it really does matter if the people at the top are brought in. And I think that's where these conversations help because then you might influence over time the people who are in leadership positions. Or, got, you know, we may all grow in to be these amazing, perhaps we are already, maybe we are already leaders. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's about that. Um, she says, hopefully that's helpful. I don't know if I've answered the question, but I don't yeah. think it was ever been easy once once.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. That's that's really interesting. Have you um are you aware are you familiar with the GMC
1: report from August last year, caring for doctors, caring for patients? Yeah, the one that talks a lot about burnout. Yes. Yeah, yeah that is interesting. Yeah, they talk about that. they have the ABC? I remember talk about autonomy belonging and all the sewas. But yes, I think that is important, isn't it? It's about feeling you have control over what you do at work, having a sense of belonging to your community, um and then be able to communicate that. And I think all those things are part of reducing stigma. Mm. It's about conversation and narrative and and culture really. It's about changing culture within yeah. teams and organisations and I think it takes time, especially in big organisations and the NHS is one of the biggest, isn't it, in our country. Mm. But Change happens. So yeah. onwards, every step forward is is worthwhile. Which is kind of why we're here. I think that's why I'm here, and, and why I think I get the impression that might be why you're here is just to try and <laughs> be part of that positive direction.
0: Keep making the noise. Yeah. I keep having the conversations. So, I want to touch on working well from home. I think that's really interesting, particularly since. The pandemic hit a lot more people are working from home yeah tell tell me more about that
1: yeah I really love that it's one of my passions um and that it was more it was again uh, I guess before the pandemic it was a passion again occupational health it's all about working well and then being a mum and trying to find a way to mix those work and life balances it's not just true for parents it's true for other carers it's true for people who have other facets to their work, of their portfolio career. And it's also true, and again, I see this when I did my clinical occupational health work, people who have other issues, physical issues, they might have limited mobility but, you know, there are plenty of people who we supported to work from home pre-pandemic because of their physical impairment or difficulty commuting, whatever. So I do think it's a really great tool to have in your toolbox. Um, and now, of course, it's just everywhere yeah I think it's one of those things that I think when it's done well it's a it can be great but if it's not done well it can be quite challenging so I just really think yeah that's why I've written this um little eight tips to work well from home and I've written an article on that uh, and I'm developing I'm do, so I'm kind of doing that just to anybody who wants it just getting contact. it's a freebie I just want everyone to be able to have a read and have something hopefully easy to digest with just some sort of entry or some points some things that are hopefully easy to take on board and actually apply uh, in your working from home life. And then there's a lot more research coming out now. So I'm doing a deeper dive in the research and I'm going to be doing a course. So you can access that. Instead of me having to be live in a webinar, it'll be all pre-recorded. So you can just access the course and watch it at your own pace from home, maybe. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So I think some of the things about working from home are, we've talked about the benefits. I think some of the... um, Tricky things that can arise uh, can be varied, actually. So they can be sort of simple things which don't sound very interesting until it happens to you, like musculoskeletal snag. So we can all get that from sitting in a chair and you're like, mm, okay. But when they add up and they're not looked after, especially over a long time, like we are now, lots of us working from home a lot, you cannot get. You can end up getting tricky, you know, problems which are painful and they can distract you from work or even prevent you working. So I think simple stuff addressing that. Is helpful to prevent these problems arising. So I'm quite short, so I have at home a box about this big. I'm showing, I don't know how big is that, one or two inches. And I've just got a box uh, uh, of cutlery that I found in the kitchen that I'm just using as my footstool at home, but it's the right depth for me. So it's about adjusting things for your height and your desk and your height, wrist, arm length, and so on. And there's some really good resources on the HSE that health and safety executive website. Um, And then they have a DSC, a display screen equipment page. So the HSC DSC website has got good resources and a good checklist and a good video. So really simple stuff, but helpful. Uh, And in some cases, your employer may pay for some of the resources if you needed a fancy mouse because you've got a dicky wrist or a footstool or whatever. Uh, So it's worth exploring that. Then I think there's a whole piece around feeling... Isolated, which can happen, especially if we live alone. So we're at work from our home, and if we live alone, we can spend a lot of time, especially in clinical practice, a lot of time maybe on emotionally demanding calls, which are all virtual. And then you hang up, and you're alone, and that's quite difficult because you, the only contact, if you don't manage that, the only contact you'll have had with are people who are emotionally draining for you, and you don't have anybody immediately to hand who's going to boost you up. So you need to try and we you all of us need to try and plan for that and go, okay, how am I going to do this? If I live alone, what am I going to do? Maybe I can plan some other contacts around that are with people who will boost me up. Maybe I'll do stuff to boost myself up. I'll go for a walk, I'll listen to music, all those things. And also there's a piece there about real human contact. So if you live alone and all your contacts are virtual, that would include the ones that are emotionally draining and the ones that are emotionally fulfilling. It's, there's, it's really draining. I think we all know that intuitively. Lots of looking at a screen, it's draining. So when I do my webinars, I sort of say, like, you know, please don't feel really you have to look at the screen, you know, because there's evidence that cognitive work of staring at a screen and trying to look like you're interested for 60 minutes. Yeah, that in itself is hard work and you want to give yourself permission to look away and, and you probably take more in that way if you're just you know, able to just reflect. So there's that piece about virtual and screen. So I think, again, if you live alone, it's important to try and build that in, like go out and have some real human contact, even if it's you go to the shops wearing a mask and you talk to a stranger who serves you, at least that's a human being or you might walk around the block and see lots of people uh, just, you know, queuing outside for their coffees because they're not allowed in the cafes anymore, you know, all of that stuff. And pets, of course you know you can't pet the price a pet is now apparently through the roof because we need that contact Wow! I think all of that stuff is important and there's also things like with nature as well you know go for a walk in nature have a pot plant uh I read some data and I was researching my well-being talk about this is pre-pandemic the WHO did a talk no they did a I did a talk and they did a uh, paper, the social determinants of health uh, in 2014. And there's lots of data, but one piece was having a pot plant in your office improved your mood and productivity. <laughs> So I was like, "Oh, <laughs> you don't have to leave the building and you can have a pot plant and you're connecting a little bit to nature and that will help your whole you know, well-being. So I'm surrounded by pot plants now. They're all succulents because I forget to water them and then they die, which isn't good for my well-being. <laughs> well-being. So I've decided just to buy something that will thrive if I ignore it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think there's a piece about isolation and, the, and then I think there's also a piece um, we talked about communication And I think there's also a piece about trust and relationships when you're working virtually. So it's really difficult, isn't it? It can be done well, but again, it gets down to your relationship with your manager. It's not going to be the same as it is at work. You're not going to be as immediately present. So sometimes you get this thing where you feel you have to be working more to show you're working hard, or the manager might think you're slacking off because they can't see you. So then you're like, oh, I need to send an email at midnight to prove I'm working really hard. And then that's no good for you or for anybody because you're tiring yourself out. You're probably not being that productive. But then the man, it does rely on the manager and you and the relationship and saying, okay, if we can have a relationship which says as long as the work gets done, we don't really mind how. That gives autonomy to both parties and that's helpful. Um, but that relies on relationship building. So, again, it gets back to how you communicate. So, some people who started working in teams and they've never met them in real life, that's quite hard. You know, it's much more helpful if you were in a team and then you moved to working virtually. Trying to have a bit of social time at the beginning of your calls, you know, so allowing that chat time as, a, as an important thing, not as a waste of time. I think those things are helpful. I know some people who work virtually or some companies who work virtually a lot, especially the tech companies, they've been quite, got quite good at this because they did this pre pandemic and they've set up separate, organize, separate um, activities. So I know some tech organizations have set up, like, it's almost like a, a randomizer, like, a you know, they pull names out of a hat. And say, okay, Jim and Sarah, you've never met each other. I'm gonna, we're going to pair you up and everybody in the, t- and the whole organization will be paired up and you have to meet on Zoom and talk about nothing to do with work for 15 minutes. Wow. And then and then what you do is you are permitted, in fact, advised to do this. And it doesn't have to be long, but what that means is that becomes the glue that sticks the relationships together because then you might meet Sarah later on in a meeting and you're like, oh, I remember that you love snowboarding and, you know, whatever, just normal human stuff. So I think ways. To develop that is important, and doing the stuff you do in real life, like you might have drinks after work, you might have an away day, all those things. Trying to do those even in the pandemic, often it's virtually, but still that's helpful. I think all of that matters actually. So all of those pieces, yeah, I think they're all helpful. And there's some of those are in uh, there's some of those are in my uh, eight tips to work well from home. So give me a shout if you would like that. You can email me or uh, find me on Instagram or whatever. And there's a few, some of that I'm going to put in this course, because there's quite a lot of depth you can go into. And there's some stuff about what your employer, there actually are some regulations to try and support workers, and the employer has some obligations uh, on in UK law. So it's there, uh, which I think not everyone's aware of. And it's all been a bit of a rush, hasn't it? Everyone working from home at the drop of a hat. So I think sort of trying to mm. accept this might be the way we're going to be working for the medium term and try to embed in some habits is going to hopefully be a helpful thing to do going forward.
0: So what comes to mind for me through all of that is, do you think it's a concern working from home from the space of, if we have a room that we are physically situated in, that we work from and a laptop, and then, you know, it's also your personal space. It's also where you do other things normally where you're not working how do we how do we go about that and if of course we're on screen and working virtually and our social interactions are virtual and what concerns would that bring
1: yeah that's interesting so I talk about that as well like, um the, the what you're talking about there is boundaries really um I think boundaries are really important so I talk about this in this freebie this eight tips to work well from home and in the article I've written So yeah I think you're right there's a that's a big part of the challenge and again it can be managed well it can be really lovely to go okay fine i'm on a coffee break i'm just going to go and check my sourdough starter you know you can make it into a really fun thing and go okay i'm going to do some online yoga in my lunch break and make it an advantage to have that flexibility but if you don't manage it it can become a disadvantage when that flexibility means basically the boundaries are so blurred you might end up feeling you're never off work because like as you just said where you work is where you live um so i think it's really helpful to try and set up boundaries again if you are lucky enough to have your own space that's not a bedroom or a living room that you could then say this is my workspace often people are using a spare room that's great but not everyone gets that and if you um uh even things like wearing headphones so I just said to you before we started I'm going to put these headphones on because that helps me feel I'm at work you know and i put my work clothes on to talk to you, even though this isn't being videoed it's just being audio recorded for the same reason because it's about uh, mindset and I think that's important I think doing those small things to help you know when you're at work and then you can then change to tell yourself, give yourself signals to off work, and that's they're called boundary rituals. so, for example, I put my work clothes on because I'm talking to you, and then when I finish work, I might change back into my relax my non-work clothes. so then I'm giving myself signals that this is work time and then, change your clothes and you're not in work time. I think a lot of us might have fallen into the trap at the beginning of the pandemic of, of not doing that, going, okay, I'm on a Zoom call, posh top, <laughs> pajama bottoms, nobody will ever know. And it feels like you're being cosy and you're being kind to yourself. And it's you know, But the snag with that is that you then wear those pajamas when you're trying to relax or even sleep. And then you might never feel you're off work because you're still wearing the same clothes you're wearing at work. Uh, even if it was just pyjama bottoms and nobody could tell because you're wearing a posh top. So I, I don't do that anymore. I always wear work clothes for work and then home clothes when I finish work. Some people put a lanyard on if they work in a lanyard and they take that lanyard off when they finish their work. Or something physical like you can get up and walk around the block, like literally leave your house and walk around the block or just walk around your garden. Or if you don't have a garden, just walk around your house. Just some a ritual, literally a boundary ritual. Yeah. So I think those things can really help, actually. And then also, if you live, we've talked about the challenges of living alone, but there's also challenges, of course, of living with others. That funny thing that went viral where that chappy was on the telly talking to a newscaster and then his toddlers yeah. ran in and his wife ran yeah. in after. I don't know if you've seen that, but it happened before the pandemic. But that's a typical example of how you can get the other downside of working from home, which is interruptions. But the solution is still the same. The solution is still boundaries. So it's about having those boundaries, it's about telling your children and your other adults in the house, okay, I'm working now. Please don't interrupt me. It doesn't always work, but, you know, trying to do that. And so you tell the children if they're old enough, if you need something, this is the person you can interrupt because I'm working now and vice versa. I've got friends who have do not disturb signs on their door <laughs> for their children to read. Um, only works if your children are old enough to read of course or you might have pets that interrupt you it doesn't have to be children you know I think it's it's about managing all those things and then I think while managing it's also about just having in the back of your mind just knowing that it's not going to be perfect you know that you do all these things and things might still go wrong you might still get interrupted mm. but then when you were at work there were still challenges that happened you know You would go to work and things might happen. The computers might crash or I don't know, whatever. Um, The fire alarm goes off, you know. So life is full of the unforeseen as well. But I think those boundary rituals are helpful. And I think being aware of them is really important, actually. Using breaks to structure your day is another boundary. So you can say, I'm going to, I know I could in theory be on the phone to this patient forever, but I'm not going to, I'm going to set some times going to allow myself a break between calls. It doesn't have to be long, even one or two minutes. I'm going to have a lunch break that I'm going to really try and protect so it doesn't bleed, this bleeding and blurring of, of work and home. And just trying to be quite defined. And I think you have to plan that more when you're at home because at work, those are obvious, more obvious. Mm-hmm. There might be a set lunch break that everyone takes at the same time, for example, or often you don't take a lunch break because it's also busy and crazy. I think even in those workplaces where you don't get a lunch break, you still get to walk up the stairs between wards. You still get to, you know, there are times when you're physically away. And I think if you're at home, you, you just have to really build that in. I've got a friend who works from home and she's like, I never, I work downstairs. I never use the downstairs toilet when I'm working because I make myself walk up yeah. She wants to give herself a little break and a bit of movement. I didn't mention that, but movement, stretching, exercise very important as well, for your break, for your body, for your mind when you're working from home.
0: This uh, concept of boundaries, I think is really important. One concept that I've come across is a collapse of personal and our professional lives. Not that that's necessarily a particularly good or a bad thing, but we have our working lives and we have our personal lives. They don't necessarily have to be totally detached because we do need pockets of time in our working day where we need to be with ourselves, refresh, debrief ourselves, whatever it is we need. But having those boundaries like you've described, I guess, would allow us to have both our personal and professional lives live in harmony.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the ideal, isn't it, to try and get that balance yeah, it's interesting what you talk about collapse. So I think that can happen. I think doctors, not all doctors, but I think, you know, the nature of being a doctor is that people use the word vacation, isn't it? That's like, it's your life's work to be a doctor, which is amazing. But I think you just need to be cautious that you don't, that you allow whatever balance works for you. Some people absolutely love their work and that's amazing. And, you know, and other people love it and they need to manage it in different ways. But and I think you're right. And I think doctors, if you over-identify with your job, that can make it more difficult to do all the things we've discussed. And I definitely fell into that. It was one of the reasons I took so before I realised and then I ended up in burnout because I was so invested and so identified with my work. That I find it very difficult to do the things we've talked about. I've had to learn them later about structure and breaks and permission and boundaries, all of that mm. stuff. And I think the problem with that is it can affect your well-being. If you, if, you over, if you identify so closely with your work, which is obviously great in many ways, but then something goes wrong at work, it can be really challenging to your sense of self and have a big impact on your out-of-work self and life. And I think that's the impact is bigger if the boundary is more blurred between your work and life. Mm. So I think it's important to have those boundaries for that reason as well and to try and prevent that kind of, like you said, that interweaving of work and life too much. Of course, like you said, everyone has a different preferred way of working and obviously it's just about working on what works for you. Mm. Yeah, and I think that is an important concept, that identifying with your work and then identifying with yourself out of work. Yeah, I think that is an important thing to reflect on.: mm.
0: Well, thank you for sharing all that. You've got some really, really valuable tips, and I recommend everybody to visit your page um, and your social media pages because there is some great content to help our well-being and then help ourselves. Before we finish, what do you think it means to be a medic today?
1: Gosh, yes. Head to the end of your podcast. <laughs> what do you think it means to be a medic today? Golly, that is challenging, isn't it? Mm. I think what it means to be a medic today has shifted, hasn't it? I mean, it has since. Well, it's not what I thought it was when I went to medical school. I still think it's an amazing privilege and honour and opportunity to be a medic. And medicine is so interesting. It just is unending. It turns what you like, but I just find it fascinating. Mm. And there's a real privilege to get to talk to people about all this crazy stuff and you know that's amazing and to try and get to help so i think that's the core of medicine hasn't changed but i think the thing that might today so i guess to be a medic today is that it is also a very pressured time as we know uh i think being a medic today is about the core stuff it's about this crazy change the pace of change i think is is a factor for all of us, both within and outside healthcare, but even more so within healthcare. So it's not just the academic intellectual change like there's new guidelines and new drugs for COVID or vaccines. So there's that change. Then there's the change of how we're working, as we've just discussed. Uh, yeah, and I, I think that that is part of what being a medic today is actually. When I qualified as a doctor, I remember I did the Hippocratic Oath and I was like, yeah, I was all excited. And the professor got up on the stage and said this keynote speech to us new doctors. And I was like, hanging on her every word. What is she going to say? And what she said was, the only constant is change. And I was like, as, uh, what was that I was really deflated <laughs> I just thought this what what did she mean uh, but of course she was right and it was probably the biggest words of wisdom she could have said and I think there is that is part of what being a medic today is it's about being aware and able to manage the change uh, that you are living and working with and I think hopefully one of the things about being a medic today that we're talking about now is feeling a bit becoming a, a person and hopefully working in future I hope we can work in a way where we are more empowered to think about ourselves as well as our patients and the well-being of ourselves as well as our patients for ourselves because we're human beings we've only got so long on the planet but also in a from an occupational health perspective if you don't look after the staff and the workers then there won't be a workforce to that there won't be enough of us enough doctors and nurses to look after the patients because we are a resource we are finite we have limits to our resilience and capacity and I think we need to look after ourselves for that reason as well as for the reason that we're humans as you very wisely said at the beginning and we have our own time on the planet and we need to make the most of it for ourselves as human beings as well I don't know if that's the whole answer but I think that's part of the answer
0: yeah no that's great that that's so that in itself is so profound and finally What's your one message to all professionals, medics, healthcare professionals out there? You had one message.
1: Yeah, I was thinking a little bit about this. Gosh, there's so many things to say, but I think that if I had to choose one, uh, I'm going to choose permission for all the reasons we've said. It's very p- a personal passion of mine for the reasons I've said. I think it's really key for doctors. Uh, it's in the Hippocratic Oath, and I think it's more broadly important for everybody who cares, healthcare workers of all types, doctors, nurses, physios, everybody, pharmacists, and for anybody who cares. I think now is a time when we really need compassion in society, you know, and I think if we're going to have that, we need to be looking after ourselves and each other together. So permission to do that, I think is, if I'm allowed to, I'd say permission and compassion. (laughs) But if I'm only allowed one, I'd say permission.
0: We'll have them (laughs) interlinked.
1: Oh, thank you very much uh it's your podcast yeah you can you could do what you like but um yeah really thank you for such amazing questions
0: so thank you for sharing your opinions your expertise i think this conversation has been just so valuable to understand mental well-being what we can do as individuals and as a community to reduce that stigma um And particularly in the context of the pandemic, working from home and how we can remain well and keep ourselves empowered whilst working from home, I, I think that's so relevant right now. Um, and we need to we need to talk about this stuff more. So thank you for being here and having this conversation with me. I have enjoyed it, and I know it's going to be so helpful for all of our listeners. You can find Dr. Katia Miles at her website workingwelldoctor.com on her facebook page katia miles working well on instagram at working underscore well underscore doctor and on her linkedin page as katia miles we would love to know your thoughts on this episode so please do leave us your comment and feedback at the medic today and we'll see you next time for some more inspiring and mind-shifting conversations